Welcome. Welcome to Sedaris. Grab your seat. Get comfortable. Find your place. Hello. If you've got a copy of the scriptures, either if you're here in person or at home, would you just uh, grab those and open to 2 Peter? We're continuing on in our series in 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 3 today. So, yeah. If you need water at any point, feel free to get up and walk over. Uh, we would way rather you walk across the parking lot to get water than pass out. So, also, if you feel like you need to go stand in the shade, there's no shame in that. Um, I know most of us are, you know, have been in Seattle for a bit, and our bodies have literally changed, and once it hits 80, we begin to weep <laughs> from the heat. So, uh, that's me. I grew up here, and uh, my body is weak, so I can't handle the heat. So, I may sit down at some point, so there's no shame in that. So, glad that you're here. My name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here at Sedaris. Glad that you're with us. All right, so we got to get right into it because I, I, by the power of the Spirit working in me, I'm going to try to be as brief as I can. But for those of you that are Sedaris regulars, that's such a challenge. And so I'm trying, okay? But i got to get right into it. A lot to cover today because today I get to explain to you how the world will end. Are you ready for this? <laughs> and I've just got a few minutes to do it. Many people today, actually, just in this time, are asking, uh, perhaps, is this the end of the world as we know it? Honestly, I don't know. In fact, Jesus says he doesn't know. Only the Father knows. So we don't know when the end will come. But many are asking that question with all the things that have gone on in 2020. People are fascinated by this thought of the end of the world. This isn't just a thing that Christians talk about. 80% of people believe that there will be an apocalypse. I was, I was uh, reading a study about this. Now, uh, there's a distinction along uh, political party lines. If you are a uh, Democrat, you tend to favor climate change as the cause for the apocalypse. If you're an independent or Republican, you believe nuclear war will precipitate the end of the world. Uh, surprisingly, 2% believe it will be zombies. So this is an uh, interesting poll. Um, think about the number of end-of-the-world movies that, that you know about. My favorite is literally just called This is the End. This is Seth Rogen and James Franco. Have you seen this movie? Fantastic take on the end of the world. But seriously, that's really something to consider, isn't it? Why is it that we are so fascinated with the end of the world? Have you thought about that? Why are we so fascinated with that, thinking about that? Well, it's clear from this book, the Bible, that Jesus talked about the end of the world. It's also clear, as we'll see today, that the Apostle Peter, who was one of Jesus' disciples that followed Jesus and learned from Jesus, that he talks about the end of the world. So what can a letter like this, a letter written by Peter, who was a fisherman... What can it tell us about the end of the world? So, I'm going to pray, and uh, we're going to look at what Peter has to say about the end of the world, okay? Father, would you just come now? Would you just give me the words you want me to speak to your people? 
God, and maybe, maybe those who are not yet your people, we're so glad that they're here considering with us, God. We're just, um, we're wanting to hear from you today that you might open our eyes to understand how we should think when it comes to the end of the world, what that means for us now and, and how it might change our life. God, we need your revelation. When we do this kind of thinking on our own, it always ends up leading us to places that we should not go. So we want your revelation. Just be with us. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you have for us today. Give us supernatural attention and all the distractions that come with an outdoor service, with the heat. God, just give us the ability to lean in to your word and to take from it what we need today to move forward. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Now, before I actually read what Peter has to say about the end of the world, I'd like to pose another question. In fact, I'd like you to ask yourself this question. Is there value in thinking about the end of the world? Is there value in thinking about the end of the world? Some of you might be saying in your head right now, no, that's just depressing. Well, perhaps it is. But it really does depend on what you think or believe the end will look like. Let me ask you another question. Why is it that when we see a video of a, of a soldier coming back and surprising his, family, his or her family, maybe at a baseball game or a basketball game, or maybe it's just at home and it's caught on cell phone, and they surprise them at the airport, something like that. Why is it that that image... I mean, even the most hardened of hearts has to fight back to tears. It's like, it's like something, someone's ringing the doorbell of the deepest part of our soul when we see that image. Why, why is that? Now think with me, a little thought experiment. How, how, how would that scene affect us? If when that soldier returned home, the wife or the husband had remarried, it'd be a real castaway moment. It'd be a very different experience. If the family was no longer waiting, this moment only feels right because they waited, because they didn't move on, because they didn't give up. Because they kept hoping. Now I'm gonna, I got a little nugget here for the baby boomers. Many of you might not get this reference, but you know what? I love the baby boomers, so I'm giving you a reference right here. Do you know the Crosby, Stills, and Nash song, If You Can't Be With The One You Love, Love The One You're With? Have you heard this song? 2% of you are saying, oh yeah, come on. Well listen, my father, music aficionado, and he would drill the theology of Crosby, Stills, and Nash, sometimes young, into my brain by blasting this music over and over again. And I'm spending my entire life undoing what is terrible philosophy and theology. <laughs> because you know what this song is saying? It's saying, if you can't be with the one you love, just love the one you're with. Don't wait for the one you love to come back. In fact, I was looking up the history of this song and 
And uh, the story goes that Stills, Stephen Stills, was touring in England, and his uh, girlfriend was back home in the United States, <laughs> and another woman was there with him, and she said to him, Hey, Stephen, if you can't be with the one you love, love the one you're with. That's free love. And, our, and, and most of us in this, this isn't in a room, but it's God's room, in this room have been trying to work through really bad philosophy of the 1970s <laughs> that has been instilled into our hearts and minds by the music of that era, including this song. That's not love, because love is patient. Love waits. Love hopes. Love endures all things. Love is not instant gratification. And so think about that moment that, that I think universally feels like something right and beautiful is happening when, when that long-lost person returns to surprise their family. Imagine if they were thinking, I guess I'll just love the one I'm with. Now let me complicate this scenario for you even more. Imagine, if you will, that your loved one, this soldier in my illustration, goes overseas and actually goes missing. Mission, missing in action. M-I-A. There is neither proof of life nor proof of death. Just disappears. Ask yourself this question. In that scenario, how long would you wait? How long would you wait? Now what if they were really convincing? They were really trustworthy. And before they left, they looked you in the eyes and they said, I will be home. I'll do whatever it takes. I will be back. I will never stop trying to find a way home. Makes me think of the movie Interstellar. How long would you keep believing this promise? Again, no proof of life, no proof of death, just gone. Five years? Ten years? Thirty years, maybe some of you? 2,000 years? How long will you wait? Because this is the promise that Jesus made to his disciples, one of which was Peter, the apostle, who's writing the letter that we're studying right now. And, and, and each and every apostle, each and every disciple that walked with Jesus, they made the same promise in the letters that they wrote, that Jesus is coming back. Peter writes, don't stop believing in this promise. And actually what we have for us in this letter is Peter writing to a church who was beginning to listen to another group of teachers in their community who were, were saying, listen, that promise Jesus made, I hate to tell you, that's not going to come true. He, he's not going to come back. That, that, that was sort of symbolic language or that was just wishful thinking to keep you going. He's not coming back. So stop waiting for him and live your life how you want to live it. Love the world you're in. Many Christians today have stopped believing that Jesus is coming back. Maybe that's you. Maybe you've stopped believing that Jesus is coming back. Maybe like these Christians... Whom, whom Peter is speaking to, 
You've been taught the doctrine. You've been taught the truth that the Bible teaches that Jesus is coming back. But you have to ask the question, do you actually believe this? Do you believe Jesus' promise, I'm coming back? Now let's read what God has said to us through the pen of Peter. Looking in chapter 3 of 2 Peter, starting in verse 1. I'm going to unpack this text for us verse by verse. If you're watching online, the, the words will be popping up. If, if you're here with me now, you can grab your Bible. Let's, let's see what he, he says. This is now, now, here it is. Chapter 3, verse 1. Peter writes this. This is now the second letter that, that I am writing to you. He's, he's already written a letter to this group of churches. In both of my letters, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior, that's Jesus Christ, through your apostles, Peter of, of whom is one. So Peter's saying, listen, remember what you've always been taught. Remember the teaching that Jesus is coming back. Now he goes on, he says, verse 3, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. We've talked about that in the last several weeks. Wanting to live the way they want to live. They will say, verse 4, and now he's quoting, they will say something like this. They will say, where is the promise of Jesus coming? For ever since the earth, uh, sorry, for ever, uh, for ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. You see what they're saying here? They're saying, listen, if you just look at history, things just keep going on and on, cause and effect. We can kind of track the whole thing. God doesn't intervene in this world. Verse 5, now Peter comments on that very common saying. You've probably heard something like this even today. Verse 5, he says, for they, that's these teachers, deliberately overlook this fact, that the heavens existed long ago and that the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, and remember, he's talking to a group that would understand the Old, the Old Testament. That's the writings of the people of Israel before Jesus. And he's saying, listen, you, they're, they're overlooking this fact that we all know that the heavens existed and then something happened. God intervened, and by his word, out of that came all that we now see around us. That didn't just happen naturally. Something intervened, and that was the word of God. Verse 6, And that by means of these, that is, the word and the water, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. Now he's referencing again the Old Testament and the, and the great flood that covered the land in the time of Noah. He's saying again, in the same way, water and word intervened. God intervened. God is not distant. Things don't go on just by cause and effect. God can and does intervene in his world. Verse 7. But by the same word, that's the same word that created all things, the same word that brought the flood, the same word, the heavens and earth, that's the sky and the earth, that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. He's saying it'll happen again. God will intervene again. He did it at creation. He did it at the flood. He did it many other times, and he's going to do it again by his word. Let's keep reading. 
verse 8, he says, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards all of you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. We preached on that a couple weeks ago. You can go back and listen to that. I won't say much more about this, but God's time is not our time. Verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens, that is the skies or the cosmos, the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies, he's speaking there of the stars or the celestial elements, right? They didn't have the exact same understanding of physics that we did, but they did understand that the, the, the heavenly stuff, the stuff of the stars and the skies, these elements, Peter is saying, they will be burned up, that is, consumed by, by heat, that's what the Greek word means there, and dissolved, the Greek word there means unraveled. They'll be consumed by heat, and, and it will unravel. And then the earth, and, uh, and, and the earth, and the works, that's the deeds, that are done on the earth, will be exposed. Will be exposed. The Greek word there, you could also say, will be found out. Nothing will be able to hide in that day. Verse 11. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be? In lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for the hastening to come of the, day of, the, of the day of God, of the day of the Lord, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies, as the stars, will melt away as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So here's the big idea. Something's going to happen. There is an end to the world as we know it, but there is a new heavens and a new earth, a new cosmos and a new planet, and it will be different. In it, righteousness will actually dwell. I love the way the message says it. That's one translation of the Bible. It says, uh, the new heavens and the new earth will be landscaped with righteousness. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? So there is an end, but it's not truly an end because there's a new heavens and a new earth. And Jesus will usher all of that in. That's what Peter is saying. So he's saying, how come you, you are saying that there is no second coming of Jesus? Because we've been taught since the beginning that this is what ushers in the new heavens and the new earth that we all wait for. So what exactly is Peter saying that this day of the Lord will be like? How will it go down? And, and this term, day of the Lord, is littered throughout the Old Testament. So this is such a common term used throughout all of the Bible, Old and New Testament, to talk about this, this reckoning, this coming of God to make all things right. So what exactly is Peter saying it will look like? How will the new heavens and the new earth come to be? We've got a couple options. Will this planet and this universe be completely demolished and a whole new earth and a whole new universe built? That's one way to think about it. Or will this planet and this earth, or sorry, and this universe be spared and there will be a serious and thorough cleanup job and remodel? Uh, so the first, I, the, first, the first option I call the cosmic townhouse plan. <laughs> We've got to tear it down and build something new. And you really pack them in there, Okay. 
The second, the second way of thinking about it is the cosmic fixer-upper. Man, there's some charm in this old thing. Let's not get rid of these old hardwoods. Let's just refinish them. Uh, we can take this old good thing, this craftsman house, and we can just fix it up. So which will it be? Does Peter give us any clues in this text? Now to answer that, you're probably not going to like this. I'm actually going to tell you two serious mistakes that people make when reading this text. This text has been a text that, that I believe has caused a lot of bad moves by Christians in the past. So I'm not going to answer it right away. I'm going to tell you two ways of misreading this text that could lead us into error, okay? Uh, the, the misreading number one is to only, uh, is the o- literal only reading of the text, which is to say, like, if I asked you and you'd never read this just to read this text, you, and I said, just read it. Tell me what you think is going to happen to the planet and the universe. I don't think you could read this text and not just come to the conclusion that it's all going to be burned down and we're going to have to build some new townhouses, right? You can't just read this, it, it, you know, it's, it's just, you should just look at it and you read it. It seems like it's all going to be burned up. So that's, there's nothing wrong with coming to that conclusion. Many, many do. Um, but I think it actually tends to lead us to an improper way of thinking about our planet, of thinking about our universe. Because when we think it's all going to burn anyhow, we kind of think like, that's like taking our car to the car wash right before we take it down to, to the demolition pit. This doesn't make any sense. So let's just, you know what, let's use it up. Let's abuse it. It's going to be all burned anyhow. Let's go for it. And to be honest, this passage can be blamed for a lot of the bad reputation that that some Christians have um, when it comes to creation care, conservation. And and here's why we need to change our way of reading this passage, change our tune. That is not the way Peter would want us to read this. And the reason we know that is because we look to the rest of the Bible, especially Genesis chapter 2, where God says uh, to Adam and Eve, he says, listen, I made all this. I made it all. It is mine. It is good. And I want you to take care of it. That's like the only place you need to go to know that the idea of use it and throw it away is a terrible way of looking at God's creation. In fact, look closely at this text, chapter uh, 3 of 2 Peter. Look at what he says in verse 5, for they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by what? The word of God. So, so to throw away this creation is to throw away the word of God. And if you know anything about uh, church groups and, and denominations and things, the people that tend to have a very low view of creation tend to have a very high view of the Word of God. This is also the Word of God. But they don't read Second Peter just before he says it'll all burn up, that all of creation is also created by the Word of God. So you can't hold this of great value and hold the rest of it without value. It's all come to us by the Word of God. It says right here in Second Peter. Interesting, isn't it? Maybe for some of you, you're like, I don't know about those distinctions within the body of Christ, but they exist. So all that's to say, 
We, as God's people, should fight for everything that is God's, that we should care for everything that is God, including his word, which is scripture, including his creation, which came about by his word. Moreover, from Peter's own argument, he seems to be saying that this end of the, war, end of the world, the day of the Lord, will be similar to other interventions of God, right? Because he references Noah. Now, you don't have to be a Bible scholar to know how the story of Noah goes. It wasn't all wiped away. Noah made it through. Every kind of animal made it through. The mountains made it through. The trees made it through. But there was a severe cleansing of the land because sin had, had plagued it. That's the story of Noah. And so why would he reference that and then say, in the same way the word's going to come and destroy it all? And then speak of it in a different way. So for all those reasons, I think it's good to slow down and consider again how we should treat this text and how we should treat the creation, treat the creation that God created. The creation that God created. The, yeah, that's the right way to say it. <laughs> Perhaps we need to do a little bit more than just a literal re rendering of these end-of-the-world passages. So here's the second mistake. The second mistake is a uh, symbolic or allegorical or spiritual only reading of the text. He's speaking only about spiritual things, and he just chooses to use physical symbols to help us understand spiritual things. Here's the problem with this. The trajectory of this way of thinking... Look it, i got to get my do-rag. I'm sweating here. Okay. The trajectory of, of this way of leading can lead us down a path it doesn't necessarily have to, but it, but it often does, to believe that renewal, restoration, remodeling, recreation of our world is in our hands, our human hands. If, if we take the rendering of this passage and passages like this and say it's all spiritual, there's nothing tangible about it. It can lead us to think, just like the false teachers, that the world is just cause and effect. And so if we can affect the cause, then we can affect the effect. That human progress can con conquer any obstacle. That the only thing standing in our way is ourselves. And perhaps even those religious types who are waiting for a Savior to come are actually getting in our way of creating everything that we desire and want to do. In fact, we shouldn't stop by just fixing this earth. Let's carpet the cosmos. That's the Bezos plan. Sounds good. Well, what's wrong with a little bit of optimism, Pastor Dave? Well, I already said it. The first problem is it sounds a lot like what the scoffers were saying, that the world is just cause and effect, that God doesn't intervene. He, he's not coming back. We've got to do it ourselves. This does sound a lot like the Marxist manifesto which says we can make the future we want if we just fight hard enough. Again, we must turn to the book of Genesis and ask ourselves a really hard question. Doesn't this seem like we've done this before? Taken things into our own hands? Decided to be God in our world? That's the story of Genesis chapter 3, that Adam and Eve took things into their own hands. And it went terribly wrong. And why? 
because God is not an absentee landlord. He doesn't just sort of turn the place over to us and say, do with it what you want. He's very much present. He's very much capable of intervening, and he has promised that he does to create in his world the end that he desires. So I don't think Peter has left us this allegorical only option. This world is too damaged to be fixed by those who broke it alone. And sin is too deep to be mopped up with a little 409. Is that still a thing? 409. Another way to say this would be, God had to intervene in Jesus Christ on the cross to defeat, to remove sin, and God must intervene in Jesus Christ by his second coming to usher in a new heavens and new earth. That's just the way it's got to be. So then what will the end of the world look like? How will it go down, Pastor Dave? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) I really don't know. But I feel confident enough to predict five things. (laughs) So I don't know if that's extra confident. I hope it's not. It's humble confidence. I think from this text we can see five things that we can predict. Number one is this. All the works, that's deeds, that are done on it, that's the earth, will be exposed. I think perhaps this is the most important thing that Peter's saying in this whole section. He's saying, listen, at the end of the world... Everything will be exposed. Nothing will be able to, to, to hide under the rug. That's, that's the idea of the revealing fire, that it will expose every deed done in it. I know that will happen for sure. So nobody gets away with anything. Not you, not me, none of us. The second thing I can predict is that Jesus is coming back, and he'll come back with a bang. Let me just uh, read for you real quick, Matthew 24. Jesus says this in Matthew 24. You can turn there with me if you want. It's always good to remember that Jesus said these things first, and his apostles just repeated the things that he said. Jesus says this in, in Matthew 24, verse 26. If you're watching online, it'll be on the screen for you. It says this, Jesus talking, says, So if they say to you, that's people in the world, if they say to you, look, He is in the wilderness. Jesus says, do not go out. He says, if they say to you, look, he's in the inner rooms. Jesus says, do not believe it. He says this, for as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. He says, it will be loud. You will not miss it. You do not have to worry and say, oh man, is it happening in some back room? Is it going to be secret? Jesus says, I'm coming back, and this time I'm not coming as a humble uh, carpenter's son uh, from Nazareth. I am coming in such a way like the lightning that it can be seen as far as the east is from the west. You are not going to miss it. That's why Peter says, there will be a roar. It will be loud. (laughs) You will not miss the coming of Jesus. The The third thing I can predict is this. It will be the Lord's day. So the day of the Lord. What does that mean? Um, Think about a wedding you've participated in. And what do you always say to the bride, particularly? Sometimes to the groom. I see you, Tim Jenkins. Sometimes to to the groom, but mainly to the bride. This is what you say. This is your day. Whatever you want today, you get today. 
you want me to do? I do this when I uh, officiate weddings. I'll say what you want me to say. I mean, I'll preach the gospel, but I'll also say whatever else. You want me to sing? I'll sing. You want me to dance? I'll dance. You want me to juggle? I'll juggle. It's your day. Whatever you want, you get because it's your day. Guess what? When Jesus comes back, that's his day. That's his wedding day. He gets whatever he wants. He gets everything he wants. He gets justice and peace and the removal of sin and evil and sinners and evildoers that have not turned to him and received his grace and have been washed by his blood. He will get renewed relationships with all his brothers and sisters. He gets everything he wants. It's his day. I can predict that with with great confidence that on that day, Jesus gets everything he wants. But you say, Dave, tell me, is it a remodel or is it new construction? The last two things go like this. I can predict that it will be something like the transfiguration. Peter actually talked about that in chapter 1 of his book. Ryan, Ryan preached on that several weeks back. And the transfiguration is a time when Jesus, before his uh, death on the cross and his resurrection, before that, he took a few of his disciples, Peter being one of them, up on a mountain, and literally he transfigured, meaning the glory of heaven shone through him, and a voice from heaven says, this is my son. And Peter references that because these false teachers were saying, Jesus isn't coming again. Now, what, how do, what does this tell us about his second coming? It means this. In the end of the world, the heavenly will overshadow the earthly. Meaning, God's kingdom will overshadow or press through the earthly. That is to say, God will intervene. This will not be a natural event. It will be a supernatural event. Does that make sense? Like the transfiguration, that was not a natural event. That's why Peter references, like, God intervenes and heaven pressed through the earthly and, and they got a glimpse of the greater, which is heaven. That's what the end of the world will be like. Heaven will literally press through this earth. And the fifth thing, I can predict that it will be something like the resurrection of Jesus Christ himself. What does the resurrection teach us? That he died, his physical body fully died, and his physical body was raised back to life. But it wasn't raised just a physical body. It was raised a spiritual body, the scriptures tell us. So Jesus' body was physical, but it was more than physical. It was a physical, spiritual body. And so this body of Jesus had this new quality to it, a new type And so that's why Mary Magdalene, who knew Jesus so well, maybe better than anybody, she didn't recognize him in the garden after resurrection. How could she not recognize Jesus? Because he he looked the same, but he looked different. And then he spoke her name, and she recognized that's Jesus. He ate fish with his disciples. He ate food with his disciples. So he had a physical body and a stomach, and he filled it with food. But, but, it, but the scriptures also teach that he could walk through walls. What, what's going on here? Here's what's going on. The resurrection principle is this. There will be something like the old in the new heavens and the new earth, but there will also be something completely new. Something that you've never seen before and that you can't even predict. That's beautiful to think about, is it not? Something of the old and something new that you've never seen before. I can predict those five things. And to be honest, I don't know much more about the end of the world than that. But I'm pretty confident that you'll like it. (laughs) Whatever that finished product is, I'm pretty confident you'll like it. 
So let me, let me say one last thing before we're done here. Let us return now to think of our missing in action soldier. With no proof of life, with no proof of death, how long will you wait? How long will you carry on waiting before you turn to the more immediate pleasures? Will you wait for your lover five years, ten, twenty? How long? Now what if I told you this one other piece of very crucial information? That years earlier, this same soldier spouse of yours had gone on another mission and you had received word from the authorities that your husband or your wife had been killed in battle and you were devastated and you'd never been lower in your life when you heard this news. And then just three days later, you heard a knock on the door. And you open the door. And standing in front of you was your spouse. In the flesh. Looked you in the eyes and said, I told you I would come back. Would the remembrance of this past event, would that feeling that you had, that possibility that could happen again, would that allow you to hold on just a little bit longer? To not give in? To not love the one you're with, but to wait a little bit more? Now I want you to just read the therefore passage that that talk of the end of the world brings us to in Second Peter. Look at this. In, in, in verse 14, Peter says, after he's just said, his promise we are awaiting for new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. He says, Peter says, Therefore, beloved, the loved ones of God, since you are waiting for these things, that's Jesus and the new heavens and the new earth. What does he say? Be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. In your soul, with one another, be found at peace as you wait. How can Peter say this? Doesn't he know how hard it is to believe something like Jesus is coming back? Well, Jesus, or Peter believes the promise of Jesus. He waits diligently. He will end up actually shortly after writing this letter being hung upside down on a cross, tradition tells us, for declaring unto his death that Jesus is coming back. And he does that and he waits diligently because he not only looks to the future of this promised kingdom, but he looks to the past because he did have his lost loved one come to the door and knock three days later and say, I told you I'd rise from the dead. How long will you wait for Jesus, whom you love? Or will you turn to lesser loves that are more immediate, more palpable, more accessible now? Friends, I ask you, will you wait with me? Can we wait together? Can we dream of the future together? Can we think of the past together of when Jesus rose from the grave and knocked on the disciples' door? Can we vicariously come into, through the Scriptures, their experience, and will that joy give us perseverance to wait even longer? 
Jesus himself said to his disciples, Blessed are those who have not seen the things that you've seen, and yet still believe. Will you believe with me that Jesus is coming? Will you wait with me? Can we wait together? Can we sing together? Can we anticipate together? Can we not choose to love this world alone, but to look for the world to come, where our King will reign and be with us and give us all that he has promised? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a glorious and beautiful and undeserved promise that you've given to us that you will come back again in the same way that you left. We'll hear you coming. It will be so loud we won't miss it. We don't know exactly what it will look like. We don't know exactly what that sound will be. We know it was something of the old and something new that we've never seen before. But we know who you are. We know that you are good. We know that you are the creator of all good things. And we can't even imagine what your new creation will be like. We look forward to that day, God. Give us endurance. Give us patience. Give us excitement. Give us joy. Give us one another to wait well together. When we're weak, give us someone who's feeling strong. When we're doubting, give us someone who's feeling great faith. God, and may we share with one another all that we need as a community to keep waiting for our loved one, Jesus, to return. Because he's promised, and he's done it before. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you guys stand?